Stay tuned for The Lynn Show. Today I'm airing an interview with writer Kelly Dumar. Kelly discovered she was a writer in the fourth grade, the result of an assignment by a very progressive teacher. At 13, she began a journal inspired by Anne Frank, but caused by a tragedy in her life. And from then on, it was one form of writing or another. Journal writing, poetry, playwriting, short story, blog, acrostic writing. I'll let her explain to you what that was. So no matter what else Kelly has done and is doing in her life, writing remains an anchor for her. This is a very interesting and inspiring story. So hang on, here come the show. Hearing from an inner voice Finding choice where there's no choice With gentle prodding from The Lynn Show. The Lynn Show is about being the person you really are, not the person you think you have to be, not the person other people are, not the person somebody told you you were or told you you had to be, not even the person you may currently think you are, but the person you really are. Unfortunately, too many people have experiences in their childhoods which discourage them from being something that they are. 
And so they come into adulthood often having forgotten important, significant things about themselves. In my shows, I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. I do this because when you listen to them, you can hear what it sounds like to be who you really are. And Kelly Dumar knew all of her life that she was a writer. And although there were times when that writing had to go underground, that is to say, be in a journal which was a secret, a safe place, something that she didn't share with anyone, it was a constant anchor for her. And Kelly always knew who she was. So here now to tell that story is writer Kelly Dumar. Okay, so I'm here with Kelly Dumar. And I know Kelly as a poet and a playwright and also as a therapist. And I've explained to Kelly that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. So that's a number of arts. So what do you most identify with? Or if people ask you, what do you say you do? I answer it as primarily right now, poet and workshop facilitator. So I facilitate creative writing workshops. So primarily at the moment, the art to which you are mostly identified is the art of writing. Definitely the art of writing. Okay, good. So my question is, can you tell me, do you remember the very first time writing stories, any of that drew you, seemed attractive? I love that question, Lynn, because you, you think in your head for a moment that you're not going to know, and then it's right there. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's like, yes, it was fourth grade, uh-huh. and we were paired up with other people to create a book, um, and one of you would be the illustrator, and the other would be the writer. Wow. And I got to be the writer, and Emily Whitman <laughs> was uh, a friend from kindergarten, and she could draw mice like anything. I mean, she was just, she, she was an artist. And I think that that might be my first memory of, oh my goodness, I'm putting words on the page and look at these illustrations and we're telling a story. I was in another world of happiness, the way I think we are when we are doing our creative genius or our... Um, our soul work, our... What we're meant to what do. What we're meant to do. Okay, so you're in the fourth grade. You're what, eight? Nine. Ten. Nine. Nine or ten, right? Nine or ten. And you have this obviously profound experience because you remember it. So do you then start to write little things or there's a long period in which this goes underground? I think there, there's a little bit of time where it goes underground, mostly because in traditional elementary, public elementary school, we are not meant to be artists or even pursue those things. So if if we discover them in school, it's usually by accident. Well, I was thinking actually when you were telling me how um, unusual it was for a fourth grade teacher to ask to give this uh, exercise. So you were very lucky. I think she was, um, I think she was one of those unusual teachers. I do feel like I was very lucky because it was not an arts-based school. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I do think we, do, we are living underground as artists 
and creators in mm -hmm. public elementary school too, way too much of the time. We're critiqued by people who don't really understand how to give valuable feedback. They want you to, to um, really comply, follow the rules, do the assignments, not really pursue imagination. Yeah. That's something, I mean, they say, I mean, you might be invited to really have an imagination, but it's really only in this very constricted way. So yes, I think it went underground um, until age 13. And I think for myself, as a lot of young women, this Anne Frank was an icon. Ah. You know, her journal, her diary, mm -hmm. that impulse to write uh, authentically about life. Wow. and do it secretly and privately and say, I'm going to have a, a, an intellectual and emotional relationship with myself on the paper, yes. in my diary, yeah. and I'm going to be safe here, and this is going to be about me, and I'm, I'm important here. Did you read it in school? I must have. It, was, it must have been in the culture. I don't remember the experience of reading it, but I remember the, I remember the impact. Yeah, so as a teenager, I shut down pretty extremely. My creative life went entirely internal wow. into the writing and fantasy. I had an elaborate fantasy life that I spent hours daydreaming and enjoying. And there's the storyteller, just like making up. So I wasn't writing those stories, but the only place in my family or culture at the time to talk about feelings was if you wrote them down on a piece of paper, wow. you know, in your journal. And, and that's where I got very involved in the idea of self-discovery, self-expression. I would venture to guess that most kids would not have done what you did, would not have found a place to explore that in a culture that was essentially telling them not to. So this must have been a really powerful Internal I think for those of us to... who are writers is right. that that impulse is just too yes. big to deny. Yes. It's going to find its expression. So I still have that very first diary. Um, I went through traumatic loss at that same time. My first love died in a car accident and uh, he was just 16 a week and I was 14. And that trauma really then pulled me, made me even more isolated and kind of shut down in the world. Yeah. So I depended even more and more on, on the writing as a source of self-expression. It's clear that you were always a writer. Did you know that? I started writing poetry and teachers were always reading my writing out loud in classrooms <laughs> without asking. Oh. But, so I, got, I started to get a lot of validation in high school that, you know, um, I didn't speak in class. But they would discover, wow, she has a voice. Mm -hmm. It's just in her writing. And so I did begin to have a recognition through high school that if they gave an assignment and it was a research assignment, I said, I would really like to write this as fiction. That's what I'm going to do. And so I was always so. By high school, I said, I don't care if they tell me what I can do. I'm going to create the assignment that I feel like writing. And I started to do that. And um, so you I got were, away with it. So you were a rule breaker as well. Well, yeah, I'm very compliant on the surface, but I think if you're going to talk to me about my writing, I'm gonna, you're going to have to understand that that is mine. And I'm going to own it. So wow. don't ask me to write something for you because that's because the writing belongs to me. 
Yeah, do you have any idea where you got that? That is not, as you perhaps certainly know from your therapy work, that is not a common, um, I don't know, conclusion that, let, that many kids come to. Kids who are encouraged to be compliant, you know, they don't, they don't take the risk of standing up and saying, no, I'm sorry, this is mine and you don't touch it. So do you have any idea where that comes from? I guess it goes back to the internal compulsion to own it. Um, I, I only know that I just really valued it. It's almost a sacred mm-hmm. aspect. So were you thinking, I'm a writer? I think I actually was thinking in a very, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice, but probably it would never happen to me, but I love it, so I'm going to just keep doing it anyway. And as an undergraduate, I did major in write, you know, writing-related um, things, was an editor on the, uh, the newspaper, and did write a lot, and had things published. And so I totally did embrace myself as a writer as an undergraduate. But then, now I've, I've graduated uh, with, you know, majored in English and journalism, and also minored in psychology, and now I have to think, well, what am I going to do with all that? I wrote Again, I did it with my thesis. I said, you know, I said, I'm going to write a thesis. and As an undergraduate? Yeah, yeah. And and it's going to be um, a novella. And I went out and found the faculty members that would support me to do that. And then that's what I did. So, um, yes, so I was super committed to the idea of being a writer. Yeah. And I was, you know, an editor on the daily paper. We had a daily paper. And, um, you know, so I was very involved in writing. But then... This idea of, okay, now what do I do about graduate school? Because I wanted to be a helper. And I also didn't probably believe that I had enough of a, of a self-identity or storyline yet to completely pursue. I don't know what it was. I did a dialogue in my journal. I got involved with Prograf, Ira Prograf's work, mm-hmm. journal writing yeah. a lot. And I was very interested in the idea of the, of the dialogue um, with the unconscious. So I sat down as I was thinking about graduate school and divide, you know, an MFA or, you know, more like a social work degree or something and wrote a dialogue to Anne Frank. Should I go and help people or focus on my writing? And somehow I concluded that I ended up getting a master's in ed that was uh, psychology based and became a licensed mental health counselor. So I did do that. But I always wrote, started teaching journal writing workshops in my practice. Ah, and so you integrated it. I integrated it. So I, yes, I, I, I integrated the writing, but I wasn't doing in those years my own writing really anymore, except in my journal. I mean, yeah, I've got, you know, catalogs. <laughs> I've got notebooks like crazy, but I wasn't attempting to create fiction or poetry right. or even plays. I was really just doing the journal writing and then being in my own therapy to be a therapist, you know, to be effective. You're doing your own work. Lots of therapeutic work in my journal, in my diaries. So it was less a creative outlet. It was really more of a therapeutic outlet. Well, and outlet. that was kind of what it was when you were a kid, too. Yeah, it was a place where you got to have this place where you feel listened to. And sometimes that is the only yourself way. or the silver lining voice, the, the voice of God, however you want to talk about it, that higher self that is then able to actually be that listener. Yes. When you create the sacred space, when you create that place where... You say, I'm going to keep the, I, I'm making this safe place for myself. And then I think that those elements of the helpers come in. Yes. So you go to graduate school, you become a therapist, you use your writing skills and your journaling skills within the work. Then what happens? 
I'd been in private practice for just about eight years. I realized that now I had two children and that having a practice, I felt like I had too many children to take care of. I really felt like a lot of being a good therapist was about reparenting clients. And I loved that work. I loved it really dearly. I, I think I was good at it. Um, and on the same hand, a lot of the, because I worked with survivors of child sexual abuse a lot mm-hmm. and children from alcoholic families, a lot of my population were young women who um, hadn't had childhoods, hadn't had strong relationships with their mothers, et right. cetera, and had actually no memories of childhood. So I was very aware of that loss for them. And I felt a great presence of wanting to be with my children. And I, I felt that um, my job as a mother was to, that I had the opportunity to be with them full time. My husband took a job that enabled us financially to not be dependent on my income. So I said, you know, I really want to have my child, children have a really great experience with childhood. So right. I decided to do that. So the night when I closed my practice, I had a I had a dream and a dream figure, a young man. In some ways, I used to think of him as my love that died, knocked on the door and said, it's time to write. Let's go. <laughs> and... And so, you know, I let him in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that is really when I did start paying attention to um, my own writing mm-hmm. and um, started uh, doing a lot of writing, going to a lot of writing workshops and um, exploring um, myself as a writer, wrote a, a nonfiction, nonfiction book about parenting um, and, and diary writing. So I wrote a book, Before You Forget, The Wisdom of Writing Diaries for Your Children, which was... Um, all about my, because I started keeping diaries for them before they were born. So wow. now I became a diarist with, about my children and writing directly to them. So now I have, I'm expanding. So now I'm looking at parenting and storytelling and relational writing. And, um, and so I put a lot of my diary writing energy now into writing to them. So I wrote a book about that. And then I said, I want to write plays. I think I'm going to write plays on my 40th birthday. And then I started writing plays. So I wrote plays for a decade, 12 years, um, in, you know, producing and in playwriting, um, leading playwriting workshops and, um, sort of threw myself into that and, um, loved that. That was fabulous. I had a great time and, uh, learned a lot and then um, was ready to not collaborate quite so much because playwriting is so collaborative. I felt like my plays were inching towards poetry in a way. They were becoming, the voice was becoming more poetic. And so I decided to, um, I went a lot more internal again and sort of really went now back into really... um, getting at the emotional content of what was really interesting me and exciting me and what I felt like I had to say through poetry. So I've been doing that now for, I don't know, five to eight years. But the writing workshops I teach are, I, I teach, I work with writers across genre. You know, to me, it, there are principles of writing and how it serves you um, as a person and as an artist that transcend genre. Yeah, I think the dramatist in me, the playwright in me, was very interested in images. And um, so I started writing my own, what I would call photo-inspired poems, kind of ekphrastic writing where- What was, does that mean? Ekphrastic, 
um, acrostic poetry, the tradition of that, which goes back centuries, has to do with ha writing a poem that is based on a work of art. So the inspiration is a work of art, and the sort of iconic one would be uh, Coleridge's Ode in a Grecian Urn. He's r looking at the urn and writing from the urn a poem, right? So Ode in a Grecian Urn. And so this idea that you're, you're writing from a work of art. But it's my your concept, inspiration. Yeah, yeah. And my concept is that you can apply everything about acrostic writing to your own personal photos. So if you have your personal photos, now you're approaching them as an artist and you're taking them seriously and you're looking and you're stepping into the three dimensional world now of the photograph as a way of um, writing from it that then unpacks it for you both emotionally and then the content and then helps you because the specificity of it and because it's usually so deeply connected to you that then you're passionate about it you when you write about what you love you generally write well and so you're now you're writing about something you care deeply about and now you're committed to working on it so my workshops a lot now are focusing on images because i think we're an image inspired culture if you wonder, if you ask, you know, what does someone care about? What we take pictures of, this is what brings meaning into our lives. This is where very clearly, immediately you see, this is what I value. This is what I care about. This is what gets me excited. We have that. We have our photo streams, but we have all these attics and basements full of photographs that are all these family stories, all this legacy. Um, and we don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to sort them. So this is the stuff that I really have. I want people to really engage with those. Um, and then when you, I believe that the photos have a, almost an enchantment to them. And when we care about them deeply, then we enter this enchanted space where then we're encountering that whole world and that it's enriching our world. And then we're getting to express that what we know that we didn't know we know and what we've never said um, so the first real photo-inspired poem that I wrote was with my Aunt Marion. She was around 55 when she died, and I, as a young woman in my 20s, took care of her, nursed her with another aunt for three days, three nights, through the process of her dying. Now, this is a, uh, an aunt that um, was not openly gay. I knew at this time that she was a lesbian, but that she'd been closeted her whole life, and, and it wasn't something that was accepted really my mother never talked you know never probably accepted that she was a lesbian and she had a very vital loving you know she had a whole rich and full life with many partners and yet this was sort of like a whole hidden part of her life wow she was an old maid right this is what we were told back then that was like and i didn't never understood how could my beautiful adventuresome really athletic and fabulous young aunt be called an old maid i said i don't even get it the card game you look at the picture that old maid she's got warts well, i don't get what is it it's a real disconnect but taking care so i loved her because she was a real spirit guide for me and i took care of her she literally died in my arms and that that was at one of those catalytic moments where you know that you have had a very meaningful experience so um because it took me out of myself and I really let her, I let her in. Yeah. This was a, a blessing for me to be with her. And so I found this photograph of her sometime later in my mother's archive. It's black and white photograph. 
and she's standing, she's, it's a, it's, she's in these short shorts and the belted shorts and, um, and a, a button-down shirt with the collar and the rolled-up sleeves, and she's, she's got these mat wonderful legs, these gorgeous legs, and this little pixie short haircut, and she's outside a cabin in New Hampshire. She's doing archery. She's holding this bow and arrow. Oh, God, she's Diana. And she's <laughs> Diana. And, she's, and I see this photograph, and I say, oh, my God, it is. It's Diana's goddess of the hunt. And... Um, <laughs> And I said, Mother, I have to have this photograph. You have to let me keep it. And um, so that was this, uh, that was, I wrote that poem. I wrote a poem called Monadnock. Um, is that the place? Monadnock is uh, the mountain she taught us to climb. We used to climb Mount Monadnock in Jaffrey, New Hampshire with her every summer. And so the, I wrote that poem about uh, our relationship. And anyway, so then... I started to really look at developing this method of writing from photographs that would make it an accessible and meaningful process to anyone who was an experienced writer or, or not. You don't have to face the fear of the blank page. You've got an emotional inspiration. So from the personal photo, this is something you know you care about. And then I developed a method that invited people in by asking some questions about going into the world of the photograph and and experiencing and once you step into that world all these surprises you realize oh my god i knew i you i didn't even know i knew that and then you remember things or you look at things so now you're having this sort of these cracked open aha experiences and you're getting to express a lot of deep emotion because these photos represent so much emotional content and you're breaking your own barriers of, wow, I never said that, I never talked about that, or, you know, I also did a workshop some years ago with Armenian um, mothers and daughters, okay, and the Armenian American women, and the mothers and the daughters, they had incredible archives of all these photographs, but the stories were not told. They did not talk. They didn't talk because the mothers had been traumatized. The, they were older now. They, they had lived through this trauma. And it was really painful to talk about the genocide and their whole process of um, being forced out of their country. And then so we brought them together so they could write from the photographs. Now they're talking to each other. Now they're going back and they're covering that territory that they weren't able to. They had been felt like somehow they couldn't talk about, but that the daughters want those, they want those memories and stories from their parents before they're gone. I, I, and now I, I want to ask you my other question, and that is, having given a life to writing, and I think you really have, even in your work as a therapist, you integrated the writing. It's like writing is what gave you raison. Absolutely. And it continues. It continues to feed you. It continues to grow. It continues to be a source for you, right? So having given a life since the fourth grade to this work, is there anything you would say about it or what you think about it? Or, you know, I don't want to define it too much. Just whatever comes to mind about its place in your life. It's a, it's, it is the passion for which I wake myself up every day. Um, absolutely. It's, it's the primary, you know, there is something about this daily practice of diary writing, which I, I never did necessarily as a kid or teen in that sort of daily practice way, but I actually do now. For the last uh, two and three quarters years almost, 
I do have a daily blog that is my daily journal. I just happen now to make it public and it's based around my photographs that I take on my walk in the morning and then in the evening I'm constructing my blog for the day which is my opportunity to write from my own photographs. They're often first drafts of things that become poems for mm -hmm. me, absolutely, but they're also a narrative. Uh, they're my narrative. They're my saying, oh my goodness, this is what's fed me today and right. I need to write about it right. because it's not finished until I have written about it and then I'm, I'm just enriching myself all day long through the process of writing my life in my head is almost like it's kind of happening. It's about the pursuit of truth and beauty that, and, and meaning and making meaning and making beauty, making crafting that sort of like something about using words to express feelings and experiences. It's a way of paying attention and accumulating and making sure that you know what is so important and essential to you. It's, I don't write about my shopping trips. I write about my walks in nature because that's the food, you know, that's what makes me feel alive. That's, what, that's why I want to get out of bed every day. And I really love reading. I love working with writers. I mean, it isn't really just, it's like I love the written word in its process of development. That fascinates me. Helping someone, you know, inch out onto the page, the way you do as a therapist, you know, inch their words out, take that risk, begin to put that little thing out there. And I, I think it's, there's so much beauty in that process. I don't care how well crafted it is. That's the therapist in me. You, we, we look at words and expressions of feelings and values as, yes, that's yeah. important. Words words have meaning for you yeah they have real meaning and um i think words are the way we are able to praise what has moved and been meaningful to us it's our way of saying thank you to the things that are so essential the relationships uh and and i think we're we're too silent with each other about how important we are to each other and and i think that's really important to find ways to communicate that to other people and i think writing is one way that you do that kelly that is the perfect place to stop thank you so much thank you it's a reason to get up in the morning it brings meaning to my life and makes meaning of my life it is how i communicate it is how I speak to myself about myself. When you hear someone say these things, you know that you are listening to someone who is very definitely who she is, knows it and demonstrates it and lives out of it. And when you listen to Kelly, I hope that you are inspired to ask yourself, is this how I feel about my life? Is this how I feel about what I do with my life? Am I the person I really am? Well, of course, I hope you are. But if there are things you have always wanted to do, things you thought you might want to do, things that you used to dream about but somehow left behind, 
the lynch I was about saying it may not be too late to recover, to discover, to uncover. As always, I hope you got something you can use from this show, something you learned, something that inspired you, something that will help you in your journey to be who you really are. You see, I'm getting older. My hair is turning gray. Oh, you see my face and figure. I've both seen better days. Well, I won't be retiring. I won't slip out of sight. No, I will not go gentle into that good night. I may have gotten 